Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. Are you ready to unlock the full potential and growth in your business? You've already crossed seven figures in sales, but the challenge is knowing how to take your business to the next level. Join Josh Hadley, an eight-figure e-com business owner and investor, as he interviews highly successful business owners. Get ready, because you're going to learn specific actions you can take today to help your business reach its full potential and leave a lasting impact on the world. Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hadley, where I interview the top business leaders in e-commerce. Past guests include Adam Heist, Kevin King, and Michael E. Gerber, the author of The E-Myth. Today, I'm speaking with Cindy Thomason, a master-level certified profit-first professional, a certified fix-this-next coach, and the founder and president of BooksKeep. And we are going to be talking a lot about all of the profitability drivers in your business to make sure that as you continue to scale, you are still making a profit. This episode is brought to you by Ecom Breakthrough Consulting, where I help seven-figure businesses grow to eight figures and beyond. Listen, Cindy, I started my business back in 2015, and I grew it to an eight-figure brand in seven years. But there were a lot of mistakes that I made along the way that made the path of getting to eight figures take a lot longer than it really needed to. There were times where I doubted myself and my leadership abilities, but also understanding the finances and the accounting of my business which obviously we're going to be talking a lot about today, understanding those principles would have allowed me to hit the road and faster and be able to scale the business faster. So to our listeners, those of you who have hit similar plateaus and want to know the next steps to take your business to the next level, then go to ecombreakthrough.com. That's ecom with two M's to learn more. And as a special bonus to my podcast listeners, this month I'm giving away one $10,000 comprehensive business strategy audit session at no cost. All you need to do is email me at josh at ecombreakthrough.com and in your subject line say strategy audit and then plead your case as to why I should choose you and your business to work with for this month. But today I am super excited to introduce you all to Cindy. Cindy works with e-commerce clients to help them achieve permanent profitability in their business. She is the author of the best-selling book, Profit First for E-commerce Sellers, and an online course by the same name. She devotes much of her time speaking at various events such as ASD Market Week, SellerCon, Prosper, E-commerce Fuel Live, and other industry events. She has also appeared as a guest speaker on many popular webinars and podcasts such as The Freedom Ticket, with Kevin King and Bright Ideas with Trent. So with that introduction, Cindy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Josh. I'm excited to be here with you. Cindy, I am super excited to be talking to you. I know we got connected, I think it was about six months ago. And the reason why we got connected is because I was talking to another guest about the Profit First methodology and asking them questions like, how do you make that work in an e-commerce business? Because inventory is so important and advertising goes out the door so quickly. So like, how do you execute the profit first methodology, which is a very popular book uh, that was authored by Mike Michalowicz, right? But I didn't know how to actually implement that. And so I'm glad that we're connected today. I'm super excited to get to know you and hear your strategies of how to make sure that as businesses scale, they remain profitable. So Cindy, why don't you give us a little bit of background? How did you get into writing the book? Why are you focused on profit first and a little bit more about yourself? 
All right. Um, well, I started my business in 2014, and I've specialized in e-commerce clients since 2015. And um, I met Mike in 2014. Actually, uh, he was speaking at an accounting conference, and I was in this um, I was in this session after lunch, trying to stay awake. And he was in the room next door, and the whole room would just you know, go up and laughter every few minutes. And I'm like, I am in the wrong room. So I went over <laughs> and uh, sat down in his room and got met Mike and got the book. And on the way home, I read the, the first version of Profit First. And I thought, I need this in my business and my clients need it. I could already see, I only had my business a couple of years, but I could already see that many of them were struggling to make payroll. They were struggling to pay themselves if they did at all. And I could see that at some point they were going to struggle to pay me and I was going to be an expense that they cut. So it felt a little bit like self-preservation. And um, so I was working with Mike. I, I was profit first professional number nine. So I've been working with Mike for quite a long time. And he was a coach to me in my business. And he said, you got a niche, you've got to specialize. And so we looked through my client roster and figured out who we really worked well with. And uh, that got us um, working with e-commerce folks because we're fully remote business. We like technology and, and our e-com clients do as well. And they like their flexibility um, as well. And in working with Mike, as he was revising Profit First to re-release it when Random House picked it up, I kept telling him, you really need to add inventory. You, this is what our, my clients really struggle with, my e-com clients, and you've got to add that in. Well, when the advanced reader copy came out and I was reading it, I'm like, he didn't talk about inventory. So I call him up. I'm like, okay, what gives? You didn't cover inventory. This is what my folks need. And Mike said, well, um, you know, you need to write that book. That's too specific for a general audience. And the, the editors took it out. So you need to write that book. And I said, okay, how do I do that? And um, so he, I was the first person to license Profit First uh, as a derivative and um, wrote Profit First for e-commerce sellers. It's uh, almost five years old. It came out in January of 2019. And it's just been the best journey because I've met the, the best people. They write me and tell me um, what they're going to do with their first profit check. And, uh, and then they keep me informed. I got a, a message on Facebook yesterday from somebody who periodically touches base with a question. And yesterday his question was, I, I've been doing profit first. Like you said, I got it going on. We're ready to scale, but I need some help. Will you help us scale? And I just love, I love hearing for people that have, you know, he's done it himself. Um, you know, I helped him a time or two with questions. But he's really done it himself, but he's ready now to 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 actually scale his business. And I can't wait to to work cl more closely with him on it. That's amazing. And Cindy, congratulations on, uh, you know, hitting that five year mark on, you know, that book release. That is very impressive. And I love that you've really specialized in the e-commerce space. So I'm going to jump right into the meat and potatoes of this okay. conversation today. Knowing that our audience is seven-figure sellers that are trying to scale their business to eight figures and beyond, Cindy, what challenges or what are the biggest problems that you see when your clients come to you and they're saying, hey, I need help with my books? What do you see as the biggest problem areas overall? Well, some of them really do need help with their books. They don't have good books to help them make decisions. And, and honestly, that's easy. We can get them on good books fairly quickly. The, the bigger challenges are when they come to us and they don't have a, a profitable business. 
they come to us and um, they're having to either rely on credit cards or loans to make their business work, and they don't understand what they need to do to actually start to generate cash in the bank. And um, those are those are really different challenges. Um, you know, e-commerce bookkeeping is a specialty, and and I really recommend people um, work with an e-commerce bookkeeper. And and you know, one example that we had just recently uh, a new business owner who bought an existing e-com business came to us and we were getting his books set up and working for him. And But he also wanted to work with us on cash flow. He's really struggling with cash flow. So we're working with him on cash flow and getting his books going at the same time. And one of our bookkeepers um, noticed that through his Shopify store, all of his cash was accumulating and he was never getting the payouts. And she called called me and said, is this right? Is this how this should work? I'm like, this person is struggling with cash flow. Why would they be doing that? Well, what happened was they, through all of the transition in the sale, they never connected the, the their bank account. The, of course, the previous owner disconnected theirs. So all this money was growing in a Shopify bank account and they were not getting the benefit of it. You know, we're talking about $47,000 that has accumulated here in a period of about six weeks. And so an e-commerce bookkeeper can help you understand when things don't go exactly right. So, uh, you know, I I think all bookkeepers strive to do a good job, but e-commerce has enough different unique situations that I think it really helps to work with an e-commerce bookkeeper. Those kinds of things are easy for us uh, to help with. The the more challenging thing is when somebody really is struggling with cash flow and what can we do to improve their cash flow to get their business on a good foundation so that it actually is going to, you know, um, flow cash to them for paying themselves, for growing. You need cash to be able to grow. And if they're in a debt situation, which a lot of times that's when people reach out to us, we've got to get on top of that debt situation so that we can start to work it down and and be able to put the money into growing the business. Makes a lot of sense. So overall, it sounds like the main problems people are having is A, profitability, B, cash flow issues. And then thirdly, they might have taken on debt, which kind of has exacerbated some of the other issues going on in the um, in their business. Is that kind of a correct summation of those? Are those the three main things that you see? Yeah. And and of course, there are things behind all of those, but those are the, the are the three main things. Um, they just don't have a handle on the profitability drivers in the business to be able to have the cash flow working for them for their for their growth. OK, makes a lot of sense. Well, let's dive straight into those then, um, Cindy. Can you give us a list of what are the profitability drivers for an e-commerce business? Well, you know, you've got to get your hands around inventory. Um, and inventory is uh, not only do you have to have inventory that you can then sell at a profit where you have a good gross margin. You have to be able to get the orders in in a timely fashion um, with a minimum order quantity so that you're not putting all your cash into um, product that's going to hang around for a long, long time. So there's just a number of factors that influence uh, what's going on with inventory. And one of the pitfalls that I see people make, and, and to me, this is one thing that every listener 
of yours can do today that will change their life. And I swear it's like so simple, but it, I just see it change people's um, understanding of their business so much. If they will take their inventory activity and move it to a separate bank account so that they can learn the cash flow around inventory and it doesn't confuse the cash flow that where all the other OPEX expenses are. When you put all of those things in one bucket, it's kind of hard to know, okay, well, how much, how many potatoes are in my soup? You know, if I got a pot of soup, how many potatoes are in my soup? It's kind of hard to know, all right, how many of these dollars in my bank account really are earmarked for my next inventory purchase? So if you put them in a separate bank account and every time you get a payout from Amazon, you look at what your your cost of those goods were to generate that revenue and say, say you got a $100,000 payout and you know $30,000 of it was your cost of goods. Move $30,000 into that inventory bank account and it'll just start to grow. And the next time you need to buy inventory, you've got that bank account sitting there with the dollars in it ready to make that down payment and you're not wondering okay wh- what am i going what am i going to mess up if i take it out of my one my one bank account am i going to have enough for opex or payroll or whatever if you've got it set aside for that particular purpose you can know with confidence where you stand on growing those dollars for um, your next round of inventory and to me that's just it's such a simple thing but it makes all the difference in understanding What's going on with the cash in your business? Because, you know, OPEX is pretty, pretty stable. You, you have about the same payroll. You pay about the same rent. Your insurance will be about the same. Things month to month have a pretty, pretty standard, you know, low bump type of line. If you were looking at it graphically, inventory, on the other hand, um, you're going to spend a lot of dollars. And then after a while, you're going to, you know, dwindle down the inventory and you're going to have to order again and you're going to spend a lot of dollars. And so it's got this huge roller coaster type shape to that cash flow. And when you put that with your OPEX, it just makes everything kind of um, bumpy looking and you can't manage either account effectively with that going on. So if your readers or your listeners will do that one change, they'll start to understand their business at a innate level without having to look at financial reports. They'll start to understand what's going on in their business at a level um, beyond what they're used to seeing. I love that. So inventory being one of the number one profit drivers for the business, you talked about just simply moving, you know, whatever your cogs are, let's, you brought in a hundred thousand dollars. If your cogs are typically 30% of your gross revenue, then immediately once you get that payout, right from Shopify, from Amazon, wherever it's coming from, put a 30% of that payout into that bank account. I love that strategy. And it's again, you're just you're earmarking for future purchases um, so that you're not caught off guard. Cindy, you also briefly touched on this, but you touched on, you know, ordering just enough inventory, not too much inventory. Can you elaborate a little bit further on that? Because I think people can see like, well, I get here's my price if I order 5000 units. But if I order 10,000 units, I'm going to be able to save, you know, let's say it's an extra 10% off of their cost of goods. How do you kind of weigh those decisions if $5,000 is meant to kind of cover you for the next, let's call it 120 days, 
but then you know ordering 10,000 is basically you know now you're up to 240 days right how do you make that decision because you're right you're just now all your cash is tied up into inventory so can you tell me more on that yeah i mean your your example i think makes it really clear you're if you know inventory is like cash but you can't spend it i mean it can be turned into cash but it's on its own terms as to when that happens or or your buyer's terms and so you really have to understand what your cash position is over a period of time to know whether you can afford to tie up dollars into um, inventory just sitting around. We work with our clients to help them understand how many days of inventory is optimal for them. So that, you know, if if they're buying from China and there's a 60 day manufacturing thing and then there's 60 days on a boat and, you know, they're, they're going to... Um, have to potentially have days at customs getting it through and testing or whatever. We we help them understand what that lead time is. And so that strategy is really different. And that inventory days number is really different from a client who can um, turn around to a supplier down the street who's agreed to warehouse their product. And when they need it, they'll ship over their 30 units, um, you know, that day or whatever. I mean, it's it really varies by client. But the ideal thing is you want to order the minimum amount possible so that you can keep your supply going and at the same time, keep as much cash in your pocket as you can for whatever other needs you have. Because while it may look appealing to get that discount, if you don't have the cash to then turn around and advertise your product, then it's going to sit around for longer days than what maybe you were expecting it to. So you've mm-hmm. got to you've got to you've got to manage all of those pieces that one is um, totally dependent and related to the other. And so understanding whether it's a good deal or not is um, is more than just numbers on, on the piece of paper with regard to that transaction. You have to look at what your your total um, lead times are, your cash availability is, et cetera. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I. And arguably, Cindy, I would probably say to all of the listeners that are listening, right, until you've really kind of surpassed that eight figure mark, I would probably argue that you need to purchase the minimum amount of inventory to kind of get, you know, the best price break possible. Right. But just to keep again, going back to the example, shoot for that 120 days, not the 240 days worth of inventory as a general rule of thumb for I would say 99% of our listeners. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, absolutely, I absolutely. You know, the, the um, smaller sellers have so many demands on their cash and um, having that big uh, inventory numbers sitting out there, um, it, it's not really comforting when you can't turn around and then advertise the product to, to get it moving. So, you know, waiting on, you know, the, um, seasonality to come back into play or something it it's it's a it's tough sitting there with with your hands tied because you've got all this inventory and the other piece yeah. on inventory that we we really haven't talked about but i find as a a struggle for people is when they have multiple products they kind of um 
uh, my husband uses the term peanut butter spread. They kind of think, oh, well, my gross margin is, you know, 50% or whatever that number is. But in reality, they may have one product that has a gross margin of 80%, which is phenomenal, mm. or another one that may be, you know, 2%. And they they tend to lump all that together. And being entrepreneurs, what they, they really do is they, I got 80% gross margin. And ignore the fact that their biggest selling product, the one that's tying up the most of their cash, is the 2% product. And, mm. you know, understanding your gross margin um, and, and what's going on with each of those products that you sell is huge because it's you can't peanut butter spread it. I mean, yeah, in a financial report, you can look at it and go, yeah, this is this is great. But the reality is, until you dive into the details and understand product by product what's going on, which ones you really just, I mean, this is a, a common situation I see with clients. They will invest a lot of cash keeping those 2% gross margin uh, products in stock. And how are they making any money on that when they turn around and have to advertise it? And so yeah. we like to try to optimize that product mix so that you're not tying up cash into something that's a poor performer. You're tying up your cash in things that are going to turn over quickly, that are going to bring you the dollars in, and that aren't draining you from an advertising perspective. And so you can't just look at the 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 totals on your financial statement. You have to dive into what's going on with your whole product portfolio. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So would you recommend then, again, a business similar to ours? We have over 1,300 different SKUs. So saying let's go SKU by SKU and map this out is much easier said than done. But is what you're saying that like you should probably it's worth the time and effort and even considering cutting some of those products that are only, you know, well below maybe that gross profit average that you have for your business? Yeah, it, it's and it's definitely hard when you've got that many SKUs. And so what we do with our clients is we say, all right, we're going to pick the top 10%. We're going to look at the top 10% that are generating rev revenue for you and understand what's going on there and how can we do more of that. And then we look at the bottom 10%. What's going on with these bottom 10%? Is there a way to bump it up or should we just get out of this business with these, you know, these um, 130 SKUs or whatever? And, you know, Every month we say, all right, well, we, we've got something going on with these, the top 10 and the bottom 10. Let's take it down another tier. Let's look at the, you know, from 90 to 80 and what's going on there. And through that process, you're, you're not trying to do it all, all at once. But if you can get the top 20% and the bottom 20% over a couple of months, you will see a dramatic change in your portfolio and the the profit that comes into your business and especially the cash flow. Because if you're not spending cash to keep those bottom 20% products in stock and then spending advertising dollars to help them move, you will see a dramatic uh, increase in your profitability, which is those with those changes, analysis yeah. and change. I love that. Fantastic advice, Cindy. Now, inventory turnover ratio, right? How many turns that inventory does in a given year. Um, do you have any recommendations in terms of like how quickly or what should the inventory turnover ratio be for e-commerce sellers as kind of a general average? 
You know, d typically we say 60 days um, is our is our recommendations for clients. But then we dive in because it it really does depend on where they're getting their product from, uh, how how volatile it is getting that, how, you know, what that supply chain looks like is, are there going to be problems? Um, so a general rule is 60 days, but we, um, we go off of that rule considerably depending on what's going on with that client. Uh, in, in many cases, clients that are set up with local suppliers, they can, they can turn it around much quicker than that. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's, it's a good thing to look at and to, con to discuss with your suppliers what you can do to actually uh, facilitate that supply chain so that um, if there are bumps in the road, you, you can kind of smooth those out. In the book, um, I, I talk a lot about Mark, who um, had a CrossFit um, um, equipment uh, business. And he, he worked out a deal with his manufacturer in China where they would manufacture and store his product not only in China but then in warehouses in the US and it was never he didn't have to take possession of it until um he had a need for it and at that point he could send a purchase order but they had worked out this relationship over the years where that supplier would um take on the burden of holding and storing product and so we were able to reduce his um, advertising days down considerably. I mean, not advertising, inventory days down considerably because he um, he now had his product, which was made in China, warehoused in the U.S., and he didn't take possession of it until he was able to um, ship it into uh, Amazon. So, you know, there's all kinds of ways to work that, but it's the kind of thing where if, if, you, if you understand there's kind of an inventory um, industry average, then see what you can do to work to improve it. And if you're way off the average, what can you do to start to get to that average for yourself? And and don't be hesitant to talk to your um, suppliers because there's I've seen all kinds of deals out there. Awesome. I love that, Cindy. <laughs> all right, Cindy, we've talked a lot about inventory as your main profitability driver. Any other profitability drivers we should be discussing? Well, advertising is the one that... Um, it feels like uh you know getting my hands sticky here uh it's a it's a challenge um and unfortunately what i see happen with people is they focus on inventory and then they'll turn around and they'll focus on advertising and the reality is you have to focus on them both at the same time it absolutely makes no sense whatsoever to be advertising a product that you're about to run out of stock on um save your money say you know save your your rankings um so keeping those two things in your mind together and if you're working with an agency to help you um with your advertising keep them in the loop on what your um you know what you can afford for your advertising you know you were talking about 1300 um SKUs so, you know, I'm sure you can probably put those into some kind of buckets where the treatment of, you know, two or 300 of them probably needs to be advertised in this way and the others come along with it. Um, but use, use your advertising dollars and, um, and really understand what it's doing for you. This, this is a, a sad story, but it's something I see quite often. A simple ratio, we call it the media efficiency ratio, is to take your advertising spend and divide it by your revenue. 
And if you do that for one month, whoopee, you know, but if you watch it month over month, you'll start to see what your media efficiency ratio is. And as you're spending dollars for advertising, the idea is that should be driving your income up. If it's not, if your revenue is not going up and you're spending more dollars on advertising, your media efficiency radio, ratio is going to go down. And it's, you know, there's there's all kinds of um, of talk around, you know, clicks and, and um, uh, uh, ROAS and one thing and another. And those all have their place. But the, when it comes down to the bottom line, if you're spending, and this is a, an example of a client, if you're spending 50000 a month in advertising, you should see your revenue go up roughly four times that typically. And if you're not seeing your revenue go up, then you're not getting a return on your advertising dollars. And one of the clients I was working with, this was a couple of years ago, we'd worked together a number of years. And I was watching his his profitability just tank. I'm like, where is this money going? And he would he would text me, why well, don't I have enough money to pay my Amex this month? I'm like, I don't know. So we were diving in. And for six months, I was telling him, you're not getting any return on your advertising. I see you spending this um, $50,000, but I'm not seeing you increase your your sales. Oh yeah, no, I got a buddy handling my my advertising and I get these reports every month. It can't be that, can't be that. I'm like, well, nothing else is changing, but I'm seeing major dollars go out. I'm not seeing revenue increase. So we watch it every month. I'd say, I'm still not seeing any benefit you're getting for this expense that you've got. And finally, after six months, he was he was in a pickle and he had spent, you know, about two hundred and sixty thousand dollars on advertising and his revenue had not gone up one hundred thousand dollars. And I'm like, this, you know, I've been waving the flag here, but it's time to get serious because you're going to get yourself in a hole you can't get out of. And at that point, he stopped and realized, but it's just a very simple calculation. Take your dollars that you spend on on advertising, and if you're spending it on an agency or on you're directing it yourself and it's just ad spend, just divide that number by your revenue. It's a really simple metric, um, but if you understand that, and if you're not seeing a benefit of those dollars, you're not getting a return on those inv- that investment. And you need to work with your agency to understand what can be done differently so that, you know, I mean, I'm not saying people aren't working hard, but people are working for a result. And if that result is not happening, um, the quickest way to see it is that the dollars aren't coming in. And let's get on top of that before you've got yourself in a hole. Yeah. I love that. And in the Amazon, you know, for Amazon sellers, what Cindy's talking about, that advertising percentage is what we refer to as the tacos, right? Total advertising cost to spend, right? And so, yes, take your total ad dollars divided by your total revenue. Um, So, Cindy, you kind of mentioned you want to see like a 4x um, in terms of, you know, that I guess that ratio. Is that correct? Like, should people be targeting that works out to be about a 25% tacos number? Is that the average or are you seeing averages even lower just to give people maybe a benchmark about what percentage of their revenue ad spend should actually be? No, I haven't done that analysis. I, my, um, my uh, experience with it has been kind of anecdotal with a few clients. 
Um, but that is something I really need to look at. And so I hate to give a benchmark number when I haven't done the the analysis of it. Um, but I, I am working with a couple of clients right now and we're working towards that four times number. And um, okay. so that's that's more of an anecdotal number than something that I want to stand behind because I've done the analysis. I don't I don't want to give a number that I'm not um, confident in. Yeah. Fair enough. But I think the principle stands true with that story that you shared in terms of if you see advertising spend increasing while revenue is not increasing at at least the same rate, you know, even then that's a challenge because you're going to have, you know, gross profit margin loss, but it needs to be going up. Um, And if it's not, you need to be waving a red flag saying, hey, something's going wrong. Our ad spend needs to be a lot more efficient. So I think that's a great example, Cindy. Cindy, any other profit drivers we should be talking about? We've talked about inventory. We've talked about advertising. What else drives profit in a business? Well, well, one thing I would suggest back on advertising for just a second is really understand the different platforms that you're advertising on and experiment with them. I can't tell you how many clients that we work with come to us and they're, well, we're doing this on Google and this on Facebook and this on three, four other things. And and they've got this poor tacos number or, or media efficiency ratio. And I'm like, all right, well, what happens if you cut off Facebook for this month? You know, your profitability is sucks. What's the worst that could happen? This product is kind of, you're about to run out anyway. What happens if we just cut that off? And they come back and they go, nothing happened. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so um, you know, I, that's happened a number of times. I can't guarantee that's everybody's response, but I can tell you for the clients that have experimented with it, they start to learn which platforms are working for them and which ones aren't for each particular product. And they come away with more money in their pocket. Um, so you know, we're all about having money in their pocket at the end of the day. Um, so, you know, experiment. It's there's um, there's no rule that says if you cut it off, you can't cut it right back on. Just experiment mm-hmm. and play with it. And the experiments that we've seen our clients um, run, they have been surprised with um, the thing that they thought they had to do. They didn't really have to do their impact of their sales were really coming from a different platform. So if you've got a lot that you're playing, you're, you know, you're investing in, start playing with those platforms to see which ones are really bringing you that return. Okay. So we talked about inventory. We talked about advertising. Um, I think the number that I would just suggest people pay attention to is gross margin. And, um, Inventory is in that. Of course, your um, your fees from Amazon are in that. Um, your shipping um, will play into that calculation. Uh, advertising typically is below that gross margin line. It's um, what we say is it, you want enough gross margin to contribute, to provide a contribution margin for advertising and, and your other expenses. So um, gross margin is, is something that people... Um, I think there's, it's getting more attention. I think right now, unfortunately, what we're seeing is that sellers are, are struggling a little bit. You know, we had the great COVID year where everything sold and, you know, everything just went up like a, um, you know, like a, a rocket. And then we had lots of a cash infusion from, um, the PPP loans or, and, and that then were forgiven the EIDL loans, uh, at such low interest rates. But, those dollars now have been kind of depleted 
and sales have come back to what is more of an expected norm and cash is tight for a lot of um a lot of e-commerce businesses and so the place to pay attention is with your gross margin and understand it like we talked about from a product portfolio level first of all understand it from from your whole business and then um and to do that you have to be running accrual books um or at least modified cash where you're running accrual down through the gross margin line understand what your gross margin is and what you can do to adjust it and things you can do to adjust it are play with your price um play with your the different platforms that you're on um really understand if all of those platforms are performing for you um we've talked about you know cutting off one one advertising platform you know really when you look at it maybe being on every e-commerce platform out there is causing you to have cash tied up in inventory in pla- on platforms that's not actually moving and it would be better for you to drop those things that aren't selling or those platforms where you're not achieving very much sales because it takes energy it takes your cash to keep those things going you know that 80/20 pareto rule is just so valuable as you analyze your business so as you analyze the 80/20 rule for your SKUs also think about it from, from the platform perspective uh maybe there's a SKU SKU that's just doing really well at Walmart and not at Amazon so put that inventory at Walmart if you're going to keep that going um or if you know you're just getting a trickle of income coming from that uh Walmart platform is it really worth you having that um having your attention divided to trying to keep everything going on on that game as the same time as you're trying to work on the Amazon game um the idea of focusing is something that uh is not given enough attention in my mind i think people focusing on what's important to drive uh cash in their business means that you give up toying with all all of the different things that are out there but to play with the stuff that you do and you do really well and so it it's not a it's not on your p&l and on your balance sheet but an owner's ability to focus on what will drive cash in their business is huge that being distracted is a huge cost so really understanding where your sales are coming from is what you're referring to right like right. how much you know is coming from the different sales channels i think there's a lot of people that get started on amazon they can get to a seven figure business on amazon fairly quickly and then they hear everybody else is like well you got to be on walmart you need to be on etsy you need need to be on target you need to have your own website etc without then considering you know you're now tying up more inventory right because you can't fulfill you know, orders from you know Walmart from Amazon or else you're just going to get booted off anyways which makes it challenging um to a seller but i think that's so important i think that's a like a really big golden nugget that you left um for our audience is that really you guys need to take an analysis and understand you know maybe a product's killing it on Amazon but not doing so well on Walmart then pull back on what you're doing with Walmart if and maybe even shut down that product and close it out on Walmart and keep feeding the beast that's actually providing and generating cash and profit for your business um i think that is so so important So so it's so easy to just broad brush everything and to to hear what other people are doing and to think 
um, well, I've got to try that too, because I don't want to leave any stone unturned. But the reality is a, a more prudent approach is to pick one that you, you know, do some research, people that maybe have products in your niche or whatever, and, and pick that one and play with that and, and go, um, go deeper on seeing if that one thing will work and what you can achieve there, as opposed to giving everything just a little bit of attention and, and realizing that nothing's working quite like you thought. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Now, Cindy, I want to kind of turn our conversation now to kind of the profit first methodology. Okay. For those that have read Mike's book, Profit First, they should definitely read yours for e-commerce entrepreneurs. Um, so, Cindy, talk to us. You know, one of the methodologies, I guess, from that book, right, is that you should set up multiple bank accounts to cover the different expenses that you have in the business, right? There's a tax account. There's probably an OPEX account. There's a rainy day fund account. So tell us, like, how do you actually implement profit first into an e-commerce business? Well, Mike's approach, because he's that kind of guy, <laughs> is to dive off a cliff and let's open five bank accounts and, you know, we're going to swim in the deep water. My approach, because I'm not that kind of guy and I've seen it not work for e-commerce business, is we're going to go in from the beach and kind of get used to what's going on here. And we'll get to that deep water. But by the time we get there, we'll be able to swim and know what the heck we're doing. So my recommendation is to to start with a quick start methodology. And if you like, I can give you our <clears throat> guide for quick start and you can put it in, in, in with the show notes if you'd like. Great. But it's, we will it's do quite that. simply this. It's you you want to have um, your main bank account that you've had in the past, which is um, an OPEX type account. You know, your 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 business bank account is what most people would call it. That's really going to be used for everything except for inventory and for profit. So in our little wading into the water approach, what I recommend is what we talked about earlier, where with inventory, you're going to evaluate what's happening with your sales and how much of the cogs um, you can then move out from your payment over to that inventory bank account. So then in our example earlier, we had $100,000 payout come in. We moved $30,000 to inventory. Then looking at that $70,000 that's left, take 1% of that $70,000 and move that into profit. So that profit account is going to start to grow. You mentioned your rainy day fund. Well, your rainy day fund is your profit account. So so we're operating then with three bank accounts, your regular business checking, where that's where you're going to pay yourself. And um, hopefully you've made enough of a profit. You're going to have to pay some taxes. Um, but as you're getting used to taking a significant amount of money and putting it into a checking account that you can't touch because you're getting ready to use it for inventory, you're going to realize you're operating with a smaller pot in that regular business checking account. We're going to start calling that OPEX for now. But what happens is you have to, most businesses that have been operating with one bank account have to get used to this idea that there's a substantial amount of it they can't touch right now. And so you have to watch that, that OPEX account more closely because you're going to be operating with a smaller pot than you have had in the past. And the reason that this is important is because it's based on the the principle that profit first is based on, which is Parkinson's law. And Parkinson's law basically says you use what you got. 
So humans um, basically look at a big bank account and they start having big ideas for what they can use that money for. And the idea of paying for inventory down the road may nag in the back of their head, but it may not get the attention that the new computer system or whatever else um, starts to to get into their mind. And then they end up spending money that they're going to need for inventory um, on something that maybe they could have lived without. And then they come. it comes time to buy that round of inventory and you don't have the dollars. And that's where you start to have to figure out, all right, am I going to borrow money or whatever? So that's that's the first thing. Get that inventory separate and and get familiar with how that impacts your your operating expenses. It may be that you can't move all of that money all at one time. It may be that um, this we're, we're just going to move, you know, half of it to start building up that inventory account. But I've got to do some work on my OPEX to be able to afford for all of it to be moved. So while you're doing that uh, process, you're going to be looking at your OPEX and you're going to be trying to figure out, all right, what can I cut? What can I reduce? Maybe I've got the gold plan and I can get by with the silver or bronze plan. Um, What can I replace? Maybe Maybe I'm used to using this software, but it comes with all these bells and whistles I never use. And I could just go with this cheaper software and it does the thing I need. So what can I um, cut? What can I reduce? What can I replace? And then what do you have to keep? So going through that analysis, typically we can cut around $1,800 to $2,000 out of a person's OPEX account each month. And that starts to put you in a better position to do without that money sitting in your OPEX because you've segregated it and put it over here for inventory. So, so that's that's what's going on there. The, the 1% is building in your profit account. And the flow with profit first is every quarter, you're going to take a portion of your profits and reward yourself as the business owner. This is kind of like being an investor uh, in the stock market and where you get quarterly dividends. This is your um, your dividend for being the owner, for taking the risk in your business. And Mike and I differ on this strategy. Mike's uh, strategy is you look at your bank balance that's in that um, profit account and you take half of it to reward yourself. I recommend a different approach. I like to look at, all right, what money did you put in this past quarter? And if you put in, let's say you put in um, $3,000, take half of that $3,000 out. So you're going to take $1,500 out to reward yourself. The other $1,500 is going to stay there. And doing it my way means that that um, rainy day fund, which is the other side of the profit accounts, all one account, but it's got two purposes. One purpose is to take money out to reward yourself. The other is to start to build up a balance in that account so that, God forbid, you know, Amazon loses your shipment or whatever, you've got some cash to operate with for a short term, um, uh, short time frame while while you resolve the issue. Your rainy day fund probably will never be able to fund you, you know, for months at a time, but it buys you enough time that you can think clearly about how you're going to get out of this um, struggle that you're in. It gives you, it buys you the freedom to think about your problem without panicking. And so that's what I love about this rainy day fund idea and why I want my clients to build that up as quickly as they can, because um, the sooner you get there, the sooner you can start to operate your business from a position of control 
as a position instead of a position of feeling like, oh, what am I going to do today to solve the the crisis du jour? And so, um, you know, one of my clients, uh, and I tell this story in the book. Her name's Carol. Um, she was had built her inventory balance up. So we were we were working that well. She had also built up her rainy day fund, her profit account, and um, Amazon lost uh, a twelve thousand dollars shipment that she had sent in. And so she she texted me and she said, "Okay, so can I just use the money in my inventory account and buy some more until they find it because I'm going to run out?" I'm like, "Yeah, that's what it's for. You, you know, go ahead and use it." Would you know that Amazon lost them the second round of inventory as well? Well, she was. She was not happy. And she was using the Jeff uh, at Amazon email and writing and she was frustrated. And um, so she's got two shipments of inventory now lost. And but we've got money in the profit account. She said, should I spend it? I'm like, yeah, you know, that's your rainy day fund. Let's you need that inventory there. They'll figure the rest of it out. But you've got enough money in your your rainy day fund to figure this out. She got the third shipment and it was being checked in to Amazon and they found the second shipment. And um, she's like, okay, all right, we're going to all work out. Do you know that Amazon then closed and suspended her account for 11 days? So in addition to now three times the amount of inventory tied up, cash tied up in that inventory, she was no dollars coming in um, because uh, her, you know, her sales had stopped. Um, she got somebody to help her. She got it all sorted out. It was 11 days. Um, and she, you know, worked through that, you know, excess of inventory. They ended up finding it all, thank goodness. But the thing was, she had time to work through each of those situations because she had money in the bank and um, and to hire somebody to get her out of the, <laughs> the worst of it whenever they quit um, allowing her to operate her account. So I, I can't stress enough the importance of having a rainy day fund. Um, and just another quick story, I, I, you know, I've got clients that operate with profit first, and then I've got clients that for one reason or another, they just didn't go down that path. And in um, early March, when Amazon started um, sending out notifications that they were going to no longer accept shipments um, during 2020 when COVID was happening, um, I would get emails from clients going, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I'm just, I think I'm going to cancel my bookkeeping service because I don't know if I'll ever sell again. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Or I got emails from clients who said, you know, um, thank God we have profit first. We're going to be fine. It's all going to work out. Um, thank you for, for making sure we got money in the bank. And I'm like, okay, which one of these do I want to have? I like these emails a whole lot better than these other kind of emails. And that's what, um, what happened is we started working with clients, the ones that were using Profit First just went through and had the money to take advantage of the, the you know, the boom that happened, whereas the ones that didn't were in a crisis mode and then ultimately didn't have the funds to take as much advantage as they could have of, um, you know, the, the odd situation we were all in. Yeah. Those are some fantastic examples, Cindy, and how important it is to really focus on, you know, not just living off of, you know, what's in my bank account today. Okay. I can spend all of that right now. It's having enough in multiple bank accounts, being able to cover different expenses. And I think that's one of the most important things um, for a business owner as a CEO. I see your job. You have three main responsibilities as a CEO of a business. Number one, 
is to cast the vision for the overall business, right? To be able to know this is where we're going and to bring your team alongside that, right? Number two is to make sure that you have the right people in the right seats in your business, right? Last but not least, probably one of the most important things is making sure you have enough money, right? And that is why I think this episode is so important. I think some people, when they hear, oh, we're talking about accounting, finance, their eyes glaze over and they're like, that's not important. I just need to go outsource this to somebody else that understands numbers. And I would say, if you want to be a true CEO and a real business owner, you have to invest the time to understand bookkeeping, how to read financial reports, and how to understand the profit first methodology that you're referring to, because it is vital. Most businesses go out of business because of poor cash flow management, period. That's it. Um, and so, all of these principles are so, so important today. Um, now, Cindy, I have, let's, we'll call this like a little bonus segment here. I want to go back to inventory real quick. You had mentioned that you kind of have seen some very creative ideas of ways that sellers have partnered with their manufacturers to A, extend their lead times or be able to have inventory already manufactured that they haven't even paid for. Um, can you give us some of, you know, maybe three or four of those kind of like creative ideas that you've seen in ways that people have partnered with their manufacturer? I think the most creative have, has been that they don't pay for the inventory until it's actually shipped into Amazon. And I, I was surprised that this deal even existed, um, but it allowed that um, that seller to have a lot of cash to be able to grow her business because she and, and her manufacturer was in the U.S. and um, and and that just surprised me. But this this particular manufacturer agreed to have all her products. She ordered it. It's set in his warehouse. And the day she was ready to send it to Amazon was the day she paid for it. Um, you know, th there are those creative ideas along that lines of of working. Not only with your manufacturer, but maybe with your um, 3PL, what can you do with them that maybe is outside of the box? Um, I'm trying to think if there's some others that I can can recall. Um, you know, storage in in country is is the thing that I try to get my clients to try to figure out if there's some way that if they're, um, you know, having product made overseas to to look for ways to have it stored in country to help smooth out these big um, spikes of buying inventory. And sometimes the manufacturers will agree to not charge you for that. Uh, it's, it's unconventional, but it's certainly um, worth talking to suppliers about what what else other than price they're willing to work with you on. Um, that's another thing, but I've, I've lost it. I'm sorry. That that. Those are some great ideas. I think the most important principle here um, is that you need to see your relationship with your supplier as a true partnership, right? You guys are in this together and they can be honestly your biggest financing partner in your business. Um, so, yeah, and, ahead, and it just came back to me. The, the other thing is if you're not getting the deal you want, then look for somebody else. I mean, many times people thought, well, I've got this kind of golden handcuff with this supplier, but there's this piece of it that doesn't work anymore. Maybe it worked before, but it doesn't work now. 
there are so many people and honestly, manufacturing is coming back in the U.S. So it may be worth looking for somebody in the U.S. that can can work with you. Um, but don't be hesitant to go and look for somebody else. If you're feeling like the, the partnership was good at one time, but you're not getting what you need, don't be afraid to look. I mean, I've got clients that have, you know, chemical compound type products and they're like, oh, nobody else can quite produce this. And they found that they could get somebody. And then once they did find somebody, then they started realizing that the situation was very one sided and they were getting the the bad side of it with their former supplier. So don't don't be afraid to go and look about other suppliers there. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of options out there. And, and I've heard all the reasons why, you know, you can't do it. But for the clients that persevered and actually did go do it, I've seen some really good outcomes. Yeah, totally agree. Cindy, thanks for sharing all those uh, quick, quick strategies right off the top of your head, putting sure. you on the spot. <laughs> As we wrap things up here, I love to leave the audience with three actionable takeaways from every episode. Cindy, here are the three actionable takeaways that I noted. You let me know if you think I'm missing something. <laughs> okay. Action item number one is focusing on the number one driver of profitability in your business, which is inventory. We just talked about that previously. There are so many ways that you need to be optimizing inventory. Um, number one, make sure you're ordering kind of the minimum order quantity that you need. Don't go for the, you know, excess inventory order that covers you for a year just because it saved you 10%, right? You need to order just enough so that you can get a return on your cash quicker. Um, turning that, that inventory into cash is going to be your best way to be able to scale. So make sure you focus on that. Secondly, what you just talked about in regards, this isn't action item number two yet. This is still on inventory, but really becoming creative with your partner. Um, Cindy, we didn't have enough time to talk about financing and debt because you see a lot of people, you know, kind of get into sticky situations. They end up taking loans from, you know, Amazon lending or eight figure sellers fi. And if people really understood what those interest rates were, they would be blown away with how much money they are spending to those people. Um, as a quick note of reference, you're probably paying more than 20% interest on that. So don't be fooled by their low APR offers that they claim on the front end. Um, here is, I'll give everybody the best secret hack out of all of this. If you want the best financing partner in your business, okay, you wanna know who that is? It's your manufacturer, period. Your manufacturer can be your biggest financing partner. In fact, you may pay 0% financing with them. Can you, like Cindy talked about, can you take possession of the inventory and have it be sent into Amazon before you've ever paid for it. As an added bonus, could you even get that push that, hey, from 75 days from the, the moment my product arrives at Amazon, I don't, that's when the, the terms start. Imagine being able to generate sales before you've even paid for your product. And that might sound outlandish to others, but that is what is actually happening with many of the successful sellers on Amazon. So if you're wondering why can other people scale so quickly, it's because they have a better uh, relationship with their manufacturer in general. Um, and so I would definitely focus, focus, focus on that relationship with your manufacturer and inventory. Action item number two, 
would be focusing on your advertising spend. Just what Cindy talked about. Make sure you understand the ratio, right? Your tacos number. Um, as a kind of general rule of thumb without data behind it, 25% would kind of be your max threshold um, that I've seen. Arguably in the Amazon space, I think you see like a 15 to 20% tacos being like on the higher side, but in healthy average. And if you're below that, it probably means that you could spend a little bit more and maybe see additional increase in your revenue. But most importantly, make sure that any advertising dollars that you spend on, you see an increase in revenue that is directly related to that ad spend. And a quick hack that you shared on that is sometimes people are advertising on Facebook, Pinterest, Google, and they think they need to keep doing it, whereas they could just cut it overnight. And if nothing changes in their business, you just saved yourself a lot of money, right? That happens more often than not. Um, all right. Last but not least, uh, this is my third and final action item. And I'm going to wrap this up to basically say in any Amazon or e-commerce business, we'll focus on Amazon first. There are three main kind of like drivers of where your expenses go in your business. So if you can focus your time on any of these three aspects, you will drive profitability. Number one is your inventory. So what is your COGS as a percentage of your revenue, right? Are you at 30%? Are you at 20%? The lower the number, the better, right? So talking about that kind of gross margin. Um, but then secondly is your Amazon FBA fees. Okay. Are you watching those fees, right? Amazon fees are only increasing. So if you're not su sequentially increasing your price as well, guess what's happening? Over time, you're just losing more and more and more margin. So one of the things that our team looks at is we have um, three, three kind of like percentages that we really look at. And that's number one, the COGS as a percentage of revenue. Number two, FBA fees as a percentage of revenue. And then the third, last but not least, is your ad spend as a percentage of revenue. Those are your three main drivers, right? And so if you can invest any of your time into any of those three areas, you can't really change your FBA fees unless you're going to change packaging, make it smaller, et cetera. Uh, that's another topic for another day. But those are my three action items for people, uh, Cindy. Anything else that I didn't discuss that you think we needed to? Well, I do think what you mentioned about FBA fees, and we didn't talk much about that, but I do believe it should be spelled out in your books. You should see some level of detail of what's going on there because um, it's easy to say, well, it's 35% or whatever that number is and just um, kind of take it at hand. Well, I can't do anything about it. But if you break it out in some detail, you can start to see if something trends in a certain direction. And, you know, if it's trending up or or you just see one month and it suddenly went out the roof, you've got um, you, it points you to the data where you can go back and do something about it. <clears throat> so keeping enough detail on your P&L to be able to understand when something's changing there and that's when you want to dive into it. You know, most of the time it just clicks along. But um, many times I've seen where. There has been a spike in one month. And when you put it all in one big number, you can't see the details. But if you've got some sub accounts where you can dive into it, you can start to see, well, this just went crazy this month. What happened there? And that gives you some clues as to where you can make some changes and, and improve things. 100%. Cindy, we could go on for a whole other hour. <laughs> 
Um, Cindy, as we wrap all this up, I'd love to ask each guest the following three questions. Number one, what has been the most influential book that you've read and why? Um, most recently, I've read a book called Buoyant that's about creativity and bringing creativity into your work. And I am, it, it's really changed uh, the way I approach my day and um, how I approach my business. I love that. Mm-hmm. I've now got that added to my list. I have not heard that book before. <laughs> it's a great it. book. All right. Question number two. What is your favorite productivity tool or maybe a new software tool that you've recently discovered that you think is going to be a game changer? Oh, well, you know, like the rest of the world, I'm in love with ChatGPT. Um, it's just uh, amazing what it can do. Uh, I think the application within ChatGPT that I've really uh, enjoyed recently is taking our meeting notes and asking it to summarize those meeting notes and you know, instead of having to go back through myself and pull out the um, the main bullet points, having the software do that has has been really helpful for for us and our team. I love that. That's a great use case as well. Yeah. Genius. <laughs> All right, Cindy, last but not least, who is somebody that you admire or respect the most in the e-commerce space that other people should be following and why? Um, it, you know, I really um, I really like what Andrew Udarian does at e-commerce fuel. And um, I I participate in that community and learn a lot from those folks. And so uh, I know he also has a podcast and and some um, uh, live events. But uh, that e-commerce fuel community has been um, really, really helpful to me. I love that. Andrew is is a good man. Yeah, he's a good guy. Cindy. This has been fantastic. If people want to follow you, they want to hire you for your bookkeeping services, implement profit first in their business. Where can people follow you and learn more? Well, we're on um, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, of course, our website is bookskeep, dot com, And my email address is cindy at bookskeep.com. I would love to hear from anybody that has questions or, um, you know, has something they're struggling with. I'd be glad to try to help. Awesome. Well, Cindy, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, I think we'll hope to have you on the show again, and we'll dive even further into profitability of the business. Yeah, I'd love that. I'd, I'd love to talk about what to what to do with all that cash that you have after Q4. And um, uh, because I, I know as people get ready for uh, their tax time, it's uh, it can be a struggle. So I'd love to talk about that at some point. It's been great, Josh. Awesome. I've enjoyed it. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Cindy. Thank you for listening. Visit ecombreakthrough.com for more information. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can show your appreciation is by clicking the subscribe button and quickly leaving a review. See you again next time.